Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 447. Hollering and being an asshole doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't help. It doesn't make anything better. You don't get a good response. You look like a shithead. You feel like shit after you've come down from your anger and realize what you've done. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free once you run your first payroll just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable 89 percent of guests research a restaurant online before dining out your website is your first impression so answer me this question honestly what does your website say about your restaurant also websites are no longer static brochures they're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Elizabeth Wiley. Chef Wiley, are you feeling unstoppable today? Definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is what we like to hear. <laughs> so Chef Elizabeth Wiley is a self-taught chef from Kansas City on the Kansas side. Very I was, important. I was, I was told to make sure to specify that. <laughs> uh, who got her to start working in her aunt and uncle's restaurant. Wiley made a name for herself initially at the Winds in Yellow Springs, Ohio. And in 2004, she opened Meadowlark Restaurant and later would open Wheat Penny. So obviously, we're just scratching the surface. I can't wait to dive in deeper to get your full story. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? The quote that I most think of isn't specific to restaurants it's by Maya Angelou and it says yes (laughs) and and it it goes people will forget what you say people will forget what you do but people will never forget how you made them feel Mm. and that was a revelation to me in terms of hospitality Um, I just always thought as a chef that it was all about the food that your restaurant was all about the food you know it was kind of cool that the chairs didn't match and that the plates had chips and the rest of it you know mattered but the food mattered more and I realized not all that long ago that that is not true even to me that is not true when I go out and so I've been thinking a lot about that lately so I was glad (laughs) you asked me if I had a quote yes I love that quote and it reminds me so much of a 
about four years ago, I was out in uh, Colorado uh, with some chefs at a chef's collaborative summit. And I had this argument with <laughs> with the other chefs. And I was like, it, it, it's a tough argument to have when you're the one front of house guy at a chef's collaborative summit. Uh, but I'm on your side. And just really dive into that a little bit more and why that having that mentality is so important. Well, last spring, I went to Las Vegas for the first time. My wife had a business meeting out there, so I went with her. And, you know, there's a lot of Maribitali restaurants out there. There's a, um, I think there's a Bouchon out there. You know, all these chefs that I follow that I haven't, haven't really gone to, you know, have, haven't been in their places a lot. They have them out there, so I was real excited to go. So I, wanted, I really wanted to eat at Carne Vino. Okay. And so I went, and there were, I think there were five of us, all women. And the waiter was a dick. Uh, he was just, you know, you, 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 you know about a restaurant for years and you finally get to go. He just was so, he was, he, he wasn't rude, but he was just like, you could te- tell mm-hmm. this was a throwaway table to him and he just didn't, he just didn't really care. And, you know, when, when you're going to, you know, a legends restaurant, I mean, it's just so disappointing. And so, you know, we had dinner and everything and we had a really nice time. He kind of dropped us at the end. And so it was more obviously more obvious at the end what his attitude was but i don't remember a thing i ate mm. in mario batali's restaurant i don't yeah. remember a thing i ate but i re- i remember how how we how he made me feel yeah and so. it just goes to show that like, you can have the best food in the world and you can have this world known reputation but it doesn't matter how good you do that as, as if you can't execute that that experience that how you make people feel that will swamp everything else yeah and not just not just to be negative. We also went to Bouchon. There's a Bouchon out there, right? Okay. Uh, Thomas I'm Keller's sure. restaurant, you know Bouchon. Yeah. Okay. And everyone was so nice. And we sat at the bar for a little while and had a drink. And then we sat outside, and it was fantastic. And the food was fantastic. And everybody that we everybody that we encountered at that restaurant, you know, from the guy who poured the water to the cashier at the end, were were heavenly. They mm. were delightful. I don't remember anything I ate there. <laughs> and so that just, you know, yeah. a, and so after that trip, I just thought it really, really, so really impactful. does matter. So impactful. Yes. Awesome. Great way to get this thing started. And I can't wait to dive into your story. So where did it start for you? What, what was your first, you know, experience in this industry? Well, my aunt and uncle moved from uh, the little town that both my parents grew up in, a little town of less than a thousand. They moved to a suburb of Kansas City, and they opened a restaurant. They had run a big truck stop outside of Joliet, Illinois, and then they were coming back home to Kansas. So um, I was a, I think I was a junior in high school, and so I, they opened in the spring, and when school was out, I started working there full-time, and they had an Army chef, like an old, <laughs> you know, retired Army yeah. chef who was their chef, and he was a great cook. I've said many times, I wish I had his cabbage soup recipe, <laughs> but he he was a really good cook and they did everything from scratch. And even though it was just prime rib and five cup salad and, you know, uh, cornmeal fried catfish and things like that, it was just all done with care. Mm. And so I just got hooked, you know, and I had, I was the oldest in my family. So I, mom, my mom worked. So, you know, I had some cooking responsibilities and helping responsibilities as, you know, being the oldest kid and, um, she would tell me, you know, if you cook dinner once a week, you can make anything you want and I'll get, I'll get all the ingredients mm. for you. And so that started me looking through cookbooks and magazines and stuff. And so this is around the same time. 
Uh, a little bit before. Little before. Okay. So then I was like, excited to work yeah, in a restaurant. I bet. And then that, that was a great experience that summer. And then I went off to college. And so I, you know, worked in restaurants and, and stuff, you know, part-time and during the summers and everything. And I just, I always knew, I knew way before I graduated from college that, um, that I wanted to cook was for a it, living. Was it this experience at your aunt uncle's place that made you kind of realize it? Yeah, So definitely. at that point you knew? So can you bring us to the moment where you kind of, had, or can you, or I mean, you can you reflect at a specific moment where you're like, this is it? This is my this is my path. This is my lane. This is what I want to do. Or is it kind of just? It was just fun to work with my hands. Yeah. Working working in a kitchen, um, getting ready for service made me think of what it's like to work backstage in, in a you know in a play, mm. which you know I d- did in junior high and high school, you know, and so um, it just had that same kind of camaraderie and um, working you know teamwork and and you know you're against the clock and then everybody's ready and it's showtime you yeah. know and so that was just fun i just thought that was really fun i dig it so you went to college what did you study in school uh, english okay it was my major okay so uh have you read my menus they're the most verbose <laughs> menus you'll ever see so it's good to know you're using that uh that degree so at what i'd like point... to remind my dad of that yeah. <laughs> so at what point did you uh full-heartedly commit to this industry, if you can reflect back to that point. I mean, I was planning to be a cook when, when okay. I got out of school, got out of college. Okay. I went to college in Iowa, and like I said, I worked at, you know, truck stops and and just restaurants around town. I stayed there during the summer, kind of worked construction, but cooked on the weekends okay. and stuff like that. Um, I just, I mean, you know, I just knew. I just knew. And I met, I, I met a friend who was as crazy for cooking as I was and don't forget this was you know this was in the mid 70s so cooking wasn't cool okay you know but it was just the only chefs we had to look up to were like French chefs like Paul Bocuse was the first chef I ever you know looked up and read about and you know bought his cookbook and everything and um but you know once I found somebody else that was really also really into cooking then you know we would like get the private dining room in the student union center, you know, and like, uh, we, you know, you could sign up for that and then we would make dinners oh, and for cool. our friends and stuff like that, you know? So after graduating, uh, did you start living intentionally to learn more about the industry? Like what path did you take and why did you take that path? I mean, there wasn't even a, I never even had the idea of going to school. That just wasn't a thing then at all. Going to culinary school. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, when I got finished with college, I, I did stay there for the summer and worked, and then I got on a Greyhound bus and went to San Francisco. Why San Francisco? It was just, you know, I did know a couple people there from high school, and it just was where f- food stuff seemed to be happening. Yeah. And this, w- this would have been 1979. So this is around the time Alice Water is really starting to come, right? Yeah. So what did you do when you get there? Did you have a plan? Like, what was going through your head? Um, I didn't have a plan, but um, I when, once I got there, I met a friend of a friend who was working in a restaurant, and I got a job as a dishwasher in that restaurant. Okay. And what restaurant was this? This it, is it, it was called the Neon Chicken. Okay. And uh, it was at the corner of 18th and Castro. Okay. Which was right in the middle of the Castro, right in the middle of you know, so everything. For a kid from Kansas. Doing some research, I, I saw that, you know, you got your, you kind of got noticed at trade, was it uh, Wins, uh, Wins Cafe, am I saying? What about it, the Wins? Yeah, when did, at what point did you get there? I see it was in like 1980s, early 80s. So yeah, like how, 1980. So how many restaurants did you have, work at before getting that opportunity at, at the Wins? 
I didn't have the chronology right. I came to the winds first. Okay. And I worked there for about seven months. Okay. Then I moved to San Francisco. Oh, all right. Then I stayed there for four years. Then I came back here. Okay. Sorry. No, that's cool. So I went out to San Francisco on a bus, but I ended up not staying very long. Got you. So, okay, you're at the winds. Uh, what's the biggest, like, reflecting back at this time, like, what did you learn about yourself in the industry that you can share with us? Back then? Yeah. Everything, <laughs> everything in the world, yeah. you know, I mean, first of all, we, we were all self-taught, you know, I got a job there as a dishwasher. I told them I could bake bread, but I, I just was planning to teach myself how before I got there and that never really happened, <laughs> but I, I did learn once I got there because okay. they baked their own bread every day in a pizza oven that they bought for a dollar. I mean, it was just, it was like. You know, those kind of homemade restaurants where a group of people just got together yeah. and said, we really care about good food. We really, you know, care about people and, you know, let, let's let's open a restaurant. And so it was kind of a – the wind started as a collective. Okay. So what did you learn about people working here? Like how to be? So I like to say before you can do, you must learn how to be. Uh, and you learn how to be by doing, by also also surrounding yourself with other people who figure out how to be. Did you learn any lessons uh, about like the values and beliefs and like, or just like disciplines working at this restaurant? Like you mean how to be a boss, or just how to be a good person? <laughs> well, I was already working on that. Yeah, but you know, when you're in a when you're in a situation where there are no older people who are mentoring you then, you know, you kind of learn by trial and error. And I definitely made some mistakes. What were some of the mistakes you made? Well, I remember when, you know, I was, I mean, I, I worked as hard as I could. I, I wanted to do the best I could, no matter what job I was doing. I just always gave it a hundred percent because that's what I was taught, you know, growing up by my parents. So I remember this one time, one of the servers just didn't, we didn't have any lights or anything. One of the servers didn't pick up an omelet. Okay. And omelets were a specialty of that restaurant. It was started by a Japanese woman who loved French cooking. So she taught us all how to make omelets right off the bat. Um, we, and we served them at dinner time too. So she didn't pick up her omelet. And so I, you know, it had been a really long day or a really stressful. I can't remember. But anyway, I screamed as loud as I could her name. And when she finally came in, I said, is this your omelet? And she said, yes. And I said, not anymore. And I just slammed it into the trash can. Oh, wow. So. You know, I was 22. Yeah. Does the story keep going or, or is, it, is that. That's pretty ends? much it. So what you know, did and you I learn? got called in by the by the owner the next. What the fuck is your problem? Yeah. And what the hell were you doing? And, <laughs> you know, it, it just. It doesn't that so that was a very important lesson to be learned. Dive into the lesson. What what specifically was the lesson? That hollering and being an asshole doesn't doesn't work. Mm. It doesn't help. It doesn't make anything better. You don't get a good response. Mm -hmm. You look like a shithead. Mm -hmm. You feel like shit after you've come down from <laughs> yeah. your anger and realize what you've done. I mean, you know, that kind of thing. So what did the, the rate of shitheadedness, did it go up or down? It went after down, the, I hope. <laughs> I, you know, and I hope it's still yeah. going down. 
but I just, you know, and luckily I kind of got all that out of my system when I was younger. Yeah. You know, I was the boss and I wasn't, I'd never been a boss before. Yeah. No one w- was there mo- that I could model. I yep. just, you know, that's what I mean about it being trial and error for all of us. Mm. So any other big lessons from this point in your life before we move on to your trip to San Francisco? I mean, just everything, how to work hard, how to work with people, how to figure out how to be organized. Mm. The fact that being organized as a line cook makes it so much more fun than doing everything by the seat of your pants and being (laughs) all messed up or, you know, and all stressed out. Oh, yeah. I mean, just all those things, how to order, how to... um, how to fire. So did you learn all that stuff on your own? If you didn't have a mentor that yeah. teach you? Wow. We all, we did. We learned it to get, we learned it ourselves. You Were know? you reading or was it just trial and error? No, there wasn't much reading about that kind of thing. It was definitely just trial and error and just talking about it afterwards, mm. you know, and, having meetings once a week and kind of going through like what our difficulties were, how we could have yes. handled it better. That's something that I, I'm surprised to hear. Cause I feel like as we progress into the future, we're getting better and better about the, or, or just knowing the importance of communication. Right. And, uh, was this something that I'm, I mean, I would imagine this isn't something that most restaurants were doing in the seventies. It was having, I have no idea. having a debrief after every, no, definitely you, not. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. So that's huge. You know, this, this, um, this restaurant, when I when I first started working there was owned by three women, one one eventually moved away, so it was two, and those two are still yeah still there. But that's a key point because I'm mean, coming from a background of aviation. Uh, there's always the brief before the flight. You'd have the pre-flight brief, and then there's which restaurants do the the pre the pre-service meeting, meeting exactly yeah. the mm-hmm. family meal or whatever. But we don't have the debriefs, and that's one thing we I think we do sometimes when we're sitting down for our, our shift drink or something. We'll talk it out, but the the pre or the the post night like debrief is so important because you can really t- like hone in on the things that we did well we didn't do well what can we do better so maybe you don't have to do it every night but like work it into the pre-mail the day after uh so you can really break that stuff down because you can learn so much from yeah, those experiences definitely and and then you're uh, and then you're able to you know i feel a really strong calling to mentor young people that work with us or even don't but that i encounter who you know want to yeah. be, be in the in this industry we're going to get into that. I have okay. a feeling. So you go out to San Francisco. I agree. It's not just for managers. Yeah. The debriefing is good for the the staff as you know, a staff as well. They're learning right along yeah. with you. Yeah, absolutely. So you head out to San Francisco, you get a job as a dishwasher. What was your intent going out there? Just to be surrounded get by this away. culture, <laughs> get to California. Yeah. And you're there for seven months. Um, no, that first time. Yeah. Yeah. Seven months and you're dishwashing. Any mentors, any key no. lessons at this point in your life? Any lessons? I ended up um, just some personal stuff happened and I ended up going back, going back. Okay. Coming back to the Midwest. Yeah. So what was the next experience after that? Like the next, well then I did go to San Francisco for real. Okay. And I had a job before I went at the neon Ah, chicken. Okay. And what year is at this point? Like mid eighties or 80, 80. Okay. 80. No, maybe 81, 81. Okay. So you know, back to San Francisco at the neon chicken. Uh, take us through that part of your life. (sighs) It was amazing because, you know, gay life was happening. I mean, it was kind of starting to, you know, be, you know. Oh, they're like more just accepted and you can be yourself. Exactly. That was was amazing. How did that have an impact? You being able to be you. Yeah. Did that that impact your ability to do the work you do? Probably, you know. I mean, just the impact of that in general is just amazing. It, it, mm. it makes everything better. It makes your relationship with your parents better. Mm. Because if your parents, 
you know, my parents were Christians, mm-hmm. you know, um, and they didn't know anything about gay people. The only thing they knew was Anita Bryant railing against them back then, you know. Do you know who that is, Anita no. Bryant? Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. But anyway, and, you know, they just didn't know anything, and so it was difficult to be... You know, the idea of telling them, I never, you know, I just couldn't even fathom that. But after being out there for a while, then I I could. So they were coming to visit. Yeah. And I thought, I got to tell them. Yep. I got to tell them before they come. Mm. So I I called on the phone. I just kind of rehearsed it in my head all day. It was very, you know. I can only imagine. But um, but I called my mom. I called my mom and I, I told her. And I don't think I was telling her anything she didn't know. I mean, I was a pretty obvious tomboy and so forth as a kid you know but anyway she was really great about it and uh they came out and you know might have been a little awkward but i just remember everything after that getting so much better so knowing yourself better and feeling more comfortable with yourself makes you get along with your parents better and everybody better oh absolutely so uh what was going on after this moment you you were able to kind of be yourself and uh pursue your passions what was happening at this point in your life as far as uh were you? How did you get into the neon chicken? Like, what were you doing there? Well, I had a friend who worked there, okay. and they and needed a dishwasher. And I, I said, I, you know, and I, re- I was already a cook, but I took the dishwashing job because I needed a job because I went out there with about ninety bucks, and <laughs> you know, and I was living in a house yeah. with about with five or six other people in the Haight Ashbury, and we would walk over the hill to the Castro and go to work every day. And it was only a dinner house; they weren't open during the day, so there were prep shifts and stuff during the day, and then dishwashing, and they had service seven yeah. nights a week. And, uh, and so, um, you know, that was just a whole world that was brand new to me. Mm-hmm. So after this point, like, what would you say the next key point in your evolution as a chef, as a, a restaurant person, you know, uh, besides being in San Francisco and during the day I would just, you know, I mean, it was, that's when all the cooking, like all the new American cooking stuff was happening mm-hmm. right when we were there. Um, and so I would just go and look at look at menus that are posted, you know, outside the front door of, of restaurants that I was interested in that I had read about or that I had heard about. I would just walk there and look at the menus and look in the windows. And Did you ever go in? I mean, usually they're closed, yeah. you know. I, I just didn't, you know, I didn't have the confidence. Mm. How did you build that confidence? Eventually you built it, right? Well, I, you know, if I if I had had more confidence as a young cook in San Francisco, I would have seen that I was better than most of the people that were doing what I was doing just in terms of my determination and my work ethic. Yeah. And so if I had known that about myself, I would have knocked on the door. Why didn't you know it? What do you, what do you think that reason was? I mean, nobody tell you in in a kitchen at at age 22, you know, I mean, it just, I just didn't, you know, so when did you start to know it it was like a man's world and I just wasn't sure. I mean, I was confident once I, once I could show what I did and got to know people, but it was scary, you know, I, I was, you know, just given the the eyeball and, you yeah. know, told that, you know, when I would apply for jobs, I'd have enough trouble trying to get in someplace, oh, you know, so. So when did you start to build that confidence? Well, um, I just, you know, cooking and working busy services and working with guys. And I could tell that I was holding my own. Mm. So that helped, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, um, during the day I, I, I had a VW van and during the day I started doing knife sharpening Okay, oh. by hand. I'm excited for this part of the story. <laughs> I, I heard it and I knew it was going to come up eventually. Oh. <laughs> so, so why'd you start doing that? Well, 
just because I, w- I wanted to do something on my own and see if I, what I could do. And also because the, um, everyone was required to bring their own knives, mm-hmm. but uh, the knife sharpeners that would come around would like totally fuck up the knives, yeah. you know? And, and so I, I wanted to learn hand honing. So I found this guy that made knives in the mission near okay. where I lived. And um, he showed me how he hand honed and he made Japanese swords and Japanese oh, cool. knives and, you know, the whole laminated process. Mm-hmm. And I learned all about that. He would work in the forge and all this. And, um, and so I started a knife sharpening business after he taught me how kind of through Mission Cutlery, which was what his shop was called. Okay. And so, um, but really, you know, one of the main reasons I wanted to do it is that I could, I would, I, then I felt confident going into yes. kitchens and like talking to them about how I hand home mm. and take good care of their knives. And I do it right there on the spot. And then I could look around and see what, what was going on. Yeah. And that was really cool. Yes. So I love, I mean, you had this, uh, it sounds like a, a hurdle to get over with your confidence. You didn't quite have the confidence to apply, uh, but you found a way to get in. You found yeah. a way to become a person of value, right? Where you had the skill, right? And so often I feel like uh, people limit themselves because uh, they think there's only one track to get in, right? But you can get really creative and find unique ways to get a point of entry to right. surround yourself with great people. And for <laughs> you, it was you know the knife sharpening. Um, what, any key lessons you learned, I guess, from not just about how to sharpen knives, but from this, this it sounds like this might have been one of your first mentors, uh, the guy who taught you how to sharpen knives. Mm-hmm. What did you learn from him in that experience? Well, he was just kind of an old hippie, <laughs> and he didn't necessarily have any drive. Mm-hmm. Like, he just was a craftsman yeah. and, and was compelled to do that kind of work. Mm-hmm. But it's not like he had any goals or anything like that, really. But he was just a good guy, super patient. Yeah. You know, and and um, I'm curious. Did did he build your confidence? Do you think? I mean, I think just working with somebody who allowed me uh, in and who thought it was a good idea that we kind of partner. Even though all I, really all I did was do a mobile service. You mm-hmm. know, I think just just that that was you know helped. And plus, I was just getting older and gaining more experience. And you know, you just you just feel a lot better when you're older. Mm. Don't you ever think to yourself that you'd love to be 19 again, but ha- be able to have the mind? Oh, yeah. I think that all oh, the time. Oh, my God. The things I'd do. The things I would do. Oh. The fun I would have. Who doesn't the have that The worries and stress and all, the worries yeah. and bad feelings that I w- that wouldn't have, you yeah. know? Uh, absolutely. Okay, so you, you're starting to get into these kitchens. You're starting to see how things are, are moving. Uh, you're learning more about the industry. What were some of the biggest lessons at this time? You mean besides the best way to cook chicken livers ever, that kind of thing? Besides <laughs> that, you mean? If you're you really mean? compelled to get into it, I'll let you. But. No, I don't. <laughs> oh, it's okay. So, um, yeah. Um, what, are you, what are you seeing when you're in these kitchens? What are you noticing about the restaurants that really are known uh, in that community between, like, I mean, uh, compared from like those restaurants that are really crushing it and those that are kind of, eh, they're just the, the, the restaurants you go to, to to do the service you do? Um, were you noticing any differences between these restaurants? Just how passionate they were and how into it they were and how much they did things by hand mm-hmm. and how how cool it seemed, mm. you know. I mean, I did the knives for Zuni Cafe really early on. In fact, so early on that they didn't even have a grill. They had a grill, you know, like a home grill out in the alley behind 
the kitchen, you know, on the back, you know, outside the back door of the kitchen. Yeah. And that's where they would grill things for the restaurant. That's probably not even legal, but (laughs) that's how they did it, you know? And it's just like, do what you need to do to do what you want to do kind of thing, you know? That was really cool. Until somebody tells you you can't do it. (laughs) And then someone stole their grill. Oh, really? Someone stole their grill one night during service. Like a pickup truck came by and stole the grill. In the middle of service? While it was still hot? Man. So then you're screwed. Then you're really screwed. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. So how long were you doing the knife thing? What, what happened after the knife thing? Mm, you know, I got to the point where I had as many clients as I could possibly have uh, without hiring somebody. And I didn't really want to go that far. So at that point, I went, I went back to cooking full time again. Okay. And this time you had built your confidence. You've met people within the industry. You have a reputation. Kind you have of. a network. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't say I had a reputation. I was just a young... I was just a youngster who, you know. Yeah, but at least you knew people. Like, you, you knew people within uh-huh, the industry. Kind of, yeah. Uh, so, I guess between this point, I'm guessing we're later in the 80s, mid-80s, or is it more still early? Like- mid-80s. And in 84, I, um, you know, a relationship that I was in ended, and I just thought, you know, I called um, the people I worked for at the Winds, and they were like, come back. Okay. We'd love to have you back. Come back. Okay. So, I just... Ended up moving back to Ohio okay. and became a cook at the Winds. Is that where again. your reputation really started to blossom? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say my reputation. I wouldn't say my reputation really started to blossom. No, until I opened Meadowlark. Okay, you know? so uh, in '84. So, what were the key moments? Just like get super aerial real quick and like hit some key moments in your career between the Winds in '84 and then opening your own place in 2004. Was it? Mm-hmm. So, I did move away again though. Because I have an itchy foot. I moved to Chicago. Nitchy foot. Is that, what's that mean? It means that you, <laughs> you can't stop yourself from move, changing jobs a lot and moving around a lot. I guess I get that. So, so first I, I moved to, um, let's see. I, I, I moved to Chicago. Okay. And like in ninety. You know, I just couldn't stay in a job for that long then. So I worked for the Winds for about uh, about six years, and then I moved to and then I I was planning on moving to Chicago. It was September or October, so instead I, w- I decided to go to Key West for the winter, and then go to Chicago when the season was over. So that's what I did. So that you're was, just working in restaurants during this time. Yeah. Any any mentors at this point? Anybody you were learning for, from, or any new lessons? Only no. No, okay. I never had a mentor. Okay. I mean, I'd work for people who scared me enough that, you know, when I was really young, like mean or whatever, that it just, um, I, I had some, I learned some lessons from how yeah. not, how not to be as a, as exactly. a grown up. Which is a key point. I mean, yeah. we look at. That was more how my, how my yeah. thing went. I mean, we, we, we're learning constantly from people, whether how yeah. to be or how not to be. Right, right. It sounds like a lot of what you learned is how not to be. <laughs> um, so. I mean, I just, yeah, I never, I didn't, I wouldn't say I had a mentor, but I, I, um, you know, I moved to Chicago. I helped a woman open a restaurant, a breakfast and lunch restaurant. Okay. And that's where my love of breakfast cooking started. This is in Chicago in the Mm -hmm. 90s. So any key lessons opening your first restaurant that you can share with us? Any curveballs? As the chef, you mean? Just the fun, just how much there is to it. (laughs) How much you have to figure everything out. And she had never had a restaurant before. The woman who owned it, she'd had a bakery. Okay. And she had a big, she had a big personality and she was really, 
um, you know, great. And she really drew, could draw people to her, including me. You know, her name was Ina Pinkney. She's still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's, she's retired from the restaurant business now, though. But um, so, I mean, it was really fun seeing what they what she did to get everything ready. And my job is to get the kitchen ready, you know. Absolutely. So there's a lesson right there. Just the power of just being a positive, bubbly, good person. You attract onto yourself a greatness when you're like that. Um, what about any other lessons from this woman aside from how to act, how to be, or the lessons from this, this experience of opening this restaurant? Um, just that we did it and we did pretty well. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't stay with her for a really long time because being a breakfast restaurant, you know, I had to be at work at like four in the morning Ouch. and, you know, I just had no life. I, yeah. you know, I'd have to try to be in bed by nine o'clock yeah. or so. And, you know, so sounds blissful. I didn't me. stay with her for that long, <laughs> but it was really great. And it was, it was, imp- it was important. That it was kind of the first uh, menu that I was totally responsible for, you know, for writing and coming up with the dishes and testing them and setting them and train and teaching them and, and making sure that they go, they went well. And mm-hmm. we had, we had kill- killer brunches and, and I, I just learned a lot bre- breakfast wise. If I could make money on breakfast like you can on dinner, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even mess with dinner. <laughs> I think it's fun. Yeah. So okay, um, you opened Meadowlock in two thousand four. So uh, any big moments in your career prior to this point that set you up uh, to be successful with Meadowlark that we should know about? Well, when I came back to the Winds, I came back as a partner in nineteen ninety four. I was more settled than. Um, just, you know, and so I had a terrific, you know, nine years working there um, with the owners. And just, you know, we really learned how to put up structure, do regular evaluations for employees. And and just, I just thought, think, you know, considering we had to figure it all out ourselves, it was just um, terrific. The owner, and who is still the owner, a woman named Mary Kay Smith, she, you know, I learned, I learned a lot from working with her, and we learned a, a lot together, you know. So, did they, did you approach them saying, I'm coming back to Dayton, or coming back to Ohio, uh, is there an opportunity for me, or did, did you reach out, or did they reach out to you saying? They, they reached out to me, what did that and like? said, you know, we'd love to have you come on as a, as a, be an owner. Mm. And so, I was just... So what was it about you? What reflecting back at that time, how you worked with them, your reputation within that restaurant? Uh, what what makes you think that they asked you to, for the, to come back for this opportunity? Um, you know, we had we had worked well together before, mm-hmm. and they were looking to you know just kind of expand, you know, bring in some new blood and kind of you know ex- expand what they were doing. They had some ideas about um, opening a wine store and maybe maybe you know another or another companion business, and so they just thought. Uh, I think they they thought that having you know bringing in a partner would would just bring in new energy and and um, you know they had been working together and running that restaurant for since seventy seven. Right? Yeah, since seventy seven yeah. exactly. So uh, I think it was just the idea. We had a friend who who had a business, n- nothing like nothing in the restaurant business, but um, and I think they, you know, they were um, making employees partners and growing their business mm. that way, and and gr- growing the collaborate sense of collaboration mm-hmm. that way. So I think you know that that was like you know they thought we can do this too, you know. So. Awesome. Well, there's a lot and of they've always in been that. like that. They've always you know they've always been been like that as far as. Um, I think they've, you know, reached out 
to other people to come back and work with them. And, you know, they're always looking to, you know, collaborate. Awesome. So you said when you got there, like you, you had a, you changed a lot. You had so much to learn. What did that, what did that, uh, that process of coming in and, uh, would you say you help organize things there? Was that part of the, the um, influence you had? Well, it was pretty organized by that time. Okay. You know? I mean, but, um, um, you know, just be, like going from kind of a little hippie restaurant in a little hippie town to being, to really trying to be something, um, contemporary. And, and that's what you were trying to do at this time. The wins, yeah. Yeah, so how did that look? How did you make that happen? So, I mean, for them, bringing somebody who'd had some outside experience, mm-hmm. Chicago and San Francisco and so forth, you know, was a good, you know, bringing some fresh ideas so, and everything. We totally revamped the lunch menu. I think what they did, they said, yeah, we, have, we want you to do a project. Okay. And, you know, after you, do, after you complete the project successfully, then, you know, we'll talk about partnership. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like, you know, they tested you it's, out. Yeah, kind of. I mean, but in a, in a you know in a really supportive way. Yeah. So you was a was a project to work on the menu to, to kind of My, the project was to revamp the lunch menu. Okay. And which I well. think they felt like was you know yeah. just kind of tired and needed needed yeah. some updating or whatever. So they made you a partner. What did what did you have an, uh, an influence on operations on? Sure. What did that look like? It looked like three heads together, and let me tell you, <laughs> three heads are better than one. Why? For sure. I'm curious. It's just you know. One person will have an idea, but another person will will have a, a way to evolve that idea or take away part of it and mm-hmm. elevate another mm-hmm. part of it. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. just you know, just that that um, process of working together yeah, makes well, it way more fun, yep. and I think you come come away with a with a, a much better pr- product than yeah. just one person. Absolutely, I, I've That's found the way that, I am anyway. I, I've well, what, the reasons you just mentioned because you have three heads are better than one. Different perspectives, different angles, uh, different strengths and weaknesses. Uh, but I think that that's the magic number is three in a partnership because oh, if wow, you have two, then there's going to be like I think we should do it this way. Well, I think we should do it this way. And there's going to be divergence. But with three, there's there's always a vote and there's always like a you know you know there's majority right. Um, plus, why not get that extra head in there right? That extra brain power. Totally. Uh, what are the other key elements, key lessons from this part of your life before going on in 2004 to open Middle Arc? You know, in terms of the restaurant business, it was very important because I was I was not the chef of the winds. Mm-hmm. Kim Corkin was and I had always been. Mm-hmm. But I came in as a general manager. Mm. And in Key West, for the first and only time in my life, I waited tables. What was that like? <laughs> it was kind of scary at first but yeah. it was really fun mm. it was fun I really liked it mm-hmm. so I got some very important front of the house experience you know in my tool belt so I felt ready to work with well-rounded yeah work with work with floor staff you yeah. know and and uh, and you know and as as somebody who who really comes from the back of the house with minimal front of the house experience my approach to them was I'm here to help you do your job the best you can do it not to go around and nitpick and nag and mm. tell you what to do because I really didn't know. And Who taught you that? Was that intuitive or did you? Yeah, that was that? intuitive because I, you know, who am I to tell them? Yeah. They've been waiting tables. Some of those people there had been waiting tables for years and were really good at it. Yeah. Who am I to tell them what to do? I'm there to be their support, to have their back and to, ha- and make sure they have what they need, you yeah. know? So that turned out to be a good, a good way to go for that. 
Yeah. And I mean, that whole, that whole idea of we exist to like a lot of people think when you're the manager uh, or the owner or whatever, like everybody that you hire exists to serve you and what you're trying to do. But the truth is you got to flip that, that, you know, that hierarchy upside down and you have to lead by example or be, you know, servant leadership is what they call it, I believe, and serve everyone, you, you know, on that org chart that's below you, you know, flip it upside down and they're above you and you're there to serve them. Um, I love that, that perspective. So when did your vision for the Meadowlark really start to come into frame or is there, are there any other lessons up to this point you want to drop on us? I just, I, I wanted to open a restaurant. I knew it would be a headache. Mm -hmm. I was compelled to do it. What was compelling? It just like, I just wanted to see what I could accomplish before I got too old to be able to yeah. do that. And I really wanted to do it within our partnership at, at the winds. Okay. But, um, both of the other owners had, had, uh, small children mm. and I, and they just felt like they had enough on their plate, mm -hmm. you know? So I was kind of nervous, but I went ahead and, you know, made plans to leave the winds and start, working on, you know, opening the new restaurant. And I, I didn't know how to do that. I mean, I had been the opening chef a couple times and I had, you know, so I, I, I knew kind of what was involved, but I didn't think I could do it by myself. So I, um, I saw an ad in a trade magazine for a consulting company that would help you do that. And it was called Nextrant. Mm. Let us help you open your next restaurant. And so I just called them just from from the, a little ad. So there's a huge lesson in that. I feel like a lot of people who are, are feel like I don't need help, like, you know, like I can do this, like, but the truth is like if the, mo I've found the most successful restaurateurs in this industry still to this date, they might be in business for years, tens of years. They're still going for outside help for inspiration for people who are specialists. Uh, there's a, there's no shame in getting help in getting that. Are you that, kidding with yeah. all the money and exactly. everything that's at, at What's stake? What's an extra $10,000? Your whole life, your yeah. personal life is at yeah. stake because you know how it's brutal at the beginning, yeah. you know? So, um, I, I didn't need help with the menu. I didn't need help with hiring, but I needed help with things like finding a location, mm. writing a business plan. I'd never done that before. Um, yeah. D negotiating with a landlord, Okay. And figuring out how much everything was going to cost ahead of time so I'd know how much money we needed. That's mm. the kind of thing that they helped me with. Beautiful. Where do you think you'd be today if you didn't have that help? Oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. I mean, I, I can't imagine not. I knew I needed the help yeah. if I was going to do it by myself. So how long were they on board for? How long did they uh, Probably, the I mean, until we opened. Yeah. And so we. I, started, I contacted them, I think, in like say in August of 2003, maybe, maybe even a little earlier. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they helped me target the bank I was going to go to because it had, it loaned the most money for small businesses, especially women owned businesses mm -hmm. in the state. So I went with that bank. Um, and then, you know, they helped me figure out, we, we were on the phone and they said, okay, how many spatulas do you think you'll need? How many of this do you think you need? How many? And they helped me literally just make a cost, you know, a cost analysis yeah. of, of what we would need to start up from, from the HVAC to, to, this, to the spatulas. The first thing they had me do was write a review of the restaurant that I was going to open 
which was a really fun exercise. That's cool. So then, you know, you name it, you describe it, you know, you write a review. And that was that was really cool. That's that just was a, really cool. a really cool way to like, get somebody to like get a vision, mm-hmm. you know, and that vision is so and important. And be more specific with mm-hmm. the, about the vision. Having yeah. an aiming point. Yeah. Uh, so you opened 2004. What was that like? How did that whole process go? Was it good, bad? Like, did you evolve from there? It was good. Um, I didn't, you know, it was good, but like I said, it was brutal. What was brutal about it? The hours. Mm. We were open, we, we were open five days a week at first. Then I added Sunday brunch about a month after we opened. So then we were working six days a week. The day off was Monday, but I had payroll and I had ordering. So I was always in there on Monday, but not the whole day, like maybe till three o'clock or something. Mm-hmm. But the brutal part was just, you know, the energy needed. And also, I mean, even though I'd been working in the restaurant business here for a long time, nobody, nobody in Dayton knew who I was. Nobody mm-hmm. knew my name. There, it was even before there were very many events and things where people f- meet each other, yeah. you know, like yeah. it's so common now and so important now. Mm. So, you know, I didn't have a reputation. This was my first restaurant all by myself. And so I didn't get people who, who were really good workers. All I got were like crazy people, you know, as servers. I mean, it was just, you know, it took a while to build a reputation. Then you start attracting a better, uh, more mature, uh, more experienced, um, you know, applicants. So what were the key things you were doing at this time to build that reputation? I mean, I just did everything I could, you know, I I'd come in in the morning, I would prep, I would host lunch, then I would prep in the afternoon, I would host dinner and then close. Mm. So you're kind I, of, set. I had a sous chef, I called him a sous chef, but he was kind of in charge of the, I mean, you know, I still did quite a bit of the cooking at that time, but I had somebody who kind of ran dinner, ran the dinner line so I could be out front. Okay. And so being out front as the chef was also you know people you know i got to talk to people uh, people about everything people got to know me you know so that yeah. was so i wasn't just somebody yeah you know? so uh, you're establishing a personal connection with your guests right. you're out there right. you're the face of the company uh you what were the other key things that were growing on to, to allow yourself to remove yourself i guess from the day-to-day the 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 kitchen work to being more in a position to work on the business well, that was a long time after, <laughs> a long time so after. So any key things were missing before we start talking about that that you can I mean, share with us? Well, um, my business partner, one of my business partner is a chef named Dave Ross. Okay. He, I knew him. I worked with him at the Winds. Okay. His wife came to work for me uh, for day, from day one. She's still here. Okay. She's like our senior prep person. So Dave would come in. He came in and cooked lunch once a week. He was still working at the winds. It was kind of on the down low too. And so he would come in and work lunch once a week to help me. And then, you know, when, when the original sous chef left after about, I don't know, 16 months, say something like that. Then Dave immediately came and you know, up wanted the job, mm-hmm. asked me, you know, and I, and I said yes. And so we've been working together ever since. So you opened Meadowlark 
by yourself. And then uh, over time you brought on partners. Was that the plan or how? No, I mean, I didn't know. I I just, I just had somebody that I could really trust Mm. and really work well with Mm -hmm. after 16 months. So he he started running the running and then he's like, you know, Wiley, I'm going to take the, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing the dairy order. Okay. I'd be like, okay. (laughs) And then eh, I'm going to do the, uh, you know, us foods order. I'm going to do the, you know, and pretty soon he was doing all the ordering. So that, you know, helped, you know, that kind of thing. He was just, Taking He's a, on more. He, yeah, he would just take more responsibility, and that was. And I was. I'm. I'm not one of the ones. I'm not. I. I was fine with that. Yeah. You know. I thought that was fantastic. So when he came on after 16 months of being open, did he come on as a partner, or did he just come mm-hmm. on as no. a sous chef? Yeah, sous chef. So this is your. He was the first that would become your one of your first partners. Uh, so what did that that process of making him a partner look like, and how did you know? Well, you I could mean, trust he wasn't a partner until. Two years ago. Oh, okay. Cool. He was just somebody I could count on. Okay. And somebody that helped me take responsibility so that we could, so that I could p- pull my head up for the first time. Okay. You know what I mean? So we, we worked together like that for quite a while. And then when Meadowlark was seven years old and, you know, we had a walk in the size of from you and me to the wall and, you know, our, our business was good, but we were just busting out of where mm. we were. We had 56 seats. Mm-hmm. We had no bar. We okay. had only a beer and wine license. So I just felt like we it was time for Little Metal Art to, gr- you know, to grow up. So 2011, of. you guys relocate to the position where the location we're at right now. Right. Okay, cool. Um, Three times the area, 6,000 square feet instead of 2,000 square feet, a bar, you know, a real liquor license. Mm-hmm. Any key lessons up to this point in 2011? Uh reflecting back that were key or instrumental in your success today? You know, just be careful with money. Like I didn't, I'm lucky enough that Christine has a good job that I, you know, I didn't take one single penny out of the business for the first two years. And then I took, and then I went to $12,000 a year. You know, I just, I just was super frugal and super careful. I mean, I'm the type to pick up paper clips from the sidewalk you know i've never bought a fucking paper clip in my life there's a know? huge lesson in that though so that's just you, the way you do know, you say christine is she your partner she's my yeah she's my wife okay uh, my girlfriend of 25 years then we got married about okay. a year and a half ago so there's a huge lesson in that uh there's this book profit first uh mike mccallowitz i think is his name and it talks about just that like you let your your cash be what determines your growth definitely and, and people get this vision like they write their their review out of what they want to be and they have this magnificent vision and they go for that on day one but that doesn't happen on day one that happens when you get there over time building that cash building that experience attracting onto yourself amazing people like was it dave was the name right mm-hmm, and dave, then yeah yeah and then like giving them you know equity in the business and uh like it doesn't happen overnight um no i mean i don't even i mean you know, I didn't. One thing that Nextron helped me do was figure out how many square foot I could afford, yeah. so that I did not over, you know, uh, pay. So I wasn't paying for too many square feet. Basically. How do you determine that? Do you remember how? I can't remember. It was a formula. We can call them if mm. you want me to. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I saved twenty thousand dollars while I was working at the Winds. I borrowed fifteen thousand dollars from my parents. I borrowed $40,000 from my oldest friend from, you know, kindergarten and her husband. And and I borrowed $10,000 from a friend from another friend. Okay. So I had $85,000. I took that <laughs> to to a bank. Yeah. With my business plan 
and with my showing what was inside of yep. me and and you know ask for a loan how much were you looking for two hundred and eleven thousand dollars so you're trying to get just shy of three and we knew exactly how many we knew yeah. how many employees we were gonna mm-hmm. have you know just that whole thing that's what nextron helped me do did they help you build a cushion too was there like a safety net or really, no? no no there wasn't one would you have done that looking back at i mean no it was fine i just didn't yeah. my way of dealing with that was i just didn't look at the bank account for quite a while <laughs> at all yeah and i was just super careful yeah all my ordering, all my pars, you know, waste, you know, just everything, everything that you have to do even now to yeah. survive, you know, but it was on such a small scale. It was, an, it was good. At, it was easy for one person to do it, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, and then 2013 is when you opened, uh, Wheat Penny. Right. So what things had to happen before you could go to the second location? Like, where did you want to get metal arc? Before I had to get it? another partner. Mm-hmm. Why? It was my best friend from college that was so into cooking that I told you about in the beginning. Oh, okay. So that's pretty cool. And what happened was the owner of the grocery store, Dorothy Lane Market. His name is Norman Maine. Mm-hmm. He, um, I've told this story before, but he um, he wanted me after opening in Little Metal Lark a year. He wanted me to move to his shopping center. Okay, but I wasn't ready to make a move like that in any way, you know. And um, but so we ended up not doing it. But when he was pitching it to me and telling me, you know, what the space would be and everything, he. He said, I, I just said, I'm not sure I can do that by myself. And he said, you know, he told me this story about his son. He said, you know, Calvin was always groomed to, to take over, you know, to come work with me at the store. At the time that he uh, was, you know, almost done with college, he was just like, Dad, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not really feeling it for mm. the grocery business. And he said, I just tried not to, you know, panic or not to react. And I said, well, what would you, what would you, what do you think you'd like to do? And he said, I want to go travel in Europe and go to the Cordon Bleu and study cooking. Okay. So I just said, at least it's food. Okay. <laughs> you know, and to himself. And so that's, that's what Calvin did. And while he was there, he just, you know, was exposed to so many incredible things and did so many things. And he came, you know, long story short, he basically came back and just said, Dad, I have so many ideas that we can do for the grocery store. You know, I, if you'll have me, I definitely want to. I want to work with at Dorothy Lane Market. So he, you know, said that how, you know, how happy he's been and how, how much it changed his vision of what the store could be. So I've been there. It's right down the street, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Oh, so that's, wow. It's beautiful. And I was walking around. This place is legit. Um, that's where I'm going to, you know, but that store opened in 1948, you know, so it's, and it really changed. And they opened another location after Calvin came back and just pumped all this new energy and all these, new experiences and things. So, so Norman looked at me and like this and he said, so Wiley, my question to you is, do you have a Calvin? (laughs) And I immediately thought of Liz. Yeah. You know, so no, no, no. She ended up moving here to help us move little metal lark to here. And then we thought we'd start a catering company. We decided that wasn't a very good idea after our first client must have emailed us a hundred times we're like "Mm, maybe we're not caterers you know and liz has this huge you know italian american you know family cooks and yeah in chicago so that's that's who wheat pennies built around we were like okay forget catering we're gonna open we're gonna open another restaurant you built a whole business around this this person and her well i mean you know yeah Kind okay. of. I mean, Dave works there too. He's been super instrumental. He he has one foot there and one foot here, kind of 
now nowadays, you know, but, um, but yeah, you know, any lessons from the first restaurant uh, that you applied that you didn't apply uh, in the first restaurant that you applied in the second restaurant? It just wasn't as hard when you have more than one person mm. taking, taking, you know, responsibility that mm -hmm. you work shoulder to shoulder with. So you have three people working on this project now, right? Yeah. Okay. So that, um, that made all the difference in the world and it was, it was great. So where are you today? Uh, what, what's going on in your business today? What, if reflecting back on, uh, the past, so it was 2004 when you opened, right? The past, uh, 14 years almost. Yeah. What were the, what are the big lessons um, you've learned reflecting back? If you can narrow it down to like two or three things, you know, to be true about like your success up to this point, key points, just, I mean, help everyone and don't be, you know, help your other fellow chefs in town, help any young person that shows any interest whatsoever, you know, do whatever you can do for people, reach out to the community. I, I don't want to say this, on air because I'll get barraged, but my philosophy really is to give something to every single organization or whoever that asked me for a donation. Mm. You know, that's part of building, building loyalty, building customers and, and just getting to know people, mm -hmm. you know, really getting to know people, you know, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing better there's nothing better than that, than helping young people and just, you know, feeling like you're really part of where you live. Mm -hmm. Dive more into that last part about helping young people. How do you see yourself in community? Like what, when you, when people come to work for you, like what do you see your role? Are you that mentor that you never had to them or like, how's that look? Definitely. I, I feel like, God, I, if I'd had someone, if I'd had a mentor, I think I would have just really soared, yeah. you know? Um, not that I, I think I did fine, but, but I definitely see that, you know, getting encouragement, mm. it can make all the difference in the world. So when you get somebody who has what it takes, that has the skill, who has a drive, the passion, what's that path look like for them? How do you, how do you, it depends on up? what they're interested in. Mm. If they're interested in learning new, newer skills, then we'll send them down to wheat penny. You know, if they're interested in dough. You know, or something like that, you know, pizza or, uh, yeah. you know, we'll just we'll just make sure that they get exposure to that. Mm -hmm. um, if uh, <clears throat> so, it's just listening, listening for their interests and seeing how you can use your resources to be an outlet for their interests. Yeah. Like we had um, we had an employee um, that just recently quit. Her last day was some one day last week. She. You know, we could see leadership qualities in her right away. She, um, so we started grooming her for promotion, you know, having her come to kitchen manager meetings and stuff like that, S having her start expediting at lunch instead of just working the grill, yeah. you know, and, um, um, I don't know what happened, but something didn't work out and she kind of started to distance herself and kind of didn't want to tell me what was wrong and, you know. Uh -huh. That's fine. I don't take that personally. People, you know, but, but so when she, we had an exit interview with her in case she wanted to, you mm -hmm. know, because we're always looking for ways to improve. Yeah. And we, if we did something inadvertently, accidentally, but, but still wrong, then we, as painful as it is, we, we need to hear it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, I had, I had met this woman on the James Beard, you know, fellowship week, who was on Top Chef that just ended. No, it hasn't even ended yet, but she's not on it anymore. Okay. And um, I just, she was just somebody that I really enjoyed meeting. She's got a really successful restaurant in Oakland, California called Brown Sugar Kitchen. It's okay. Chef Tanya Holland. 
And I just, you know, just something about AJ, I just thought, you know, just like any young person, she needs to, you know, get out of town and have a positive, like, cooking or restaurant experience in yeah. a new place. You know, every young person needs that. Yeah. And if and sometimes if you do that, then you'll have some kind of eye-opening yeah. and heart-opening experience that'll set you on the path and and keep you inspired to be a chef even at 60 years old, yeah. like, like me. Yeah. So, you know, at her exit interview, I had already called – I had already – talked to Tanya and Tanya was like, absolutely. I would love to meet her, have her call me. We'll hash out the details. And so at least I could say here, this is a chef's, you know, this is her card. This is what she wrote to me. And when I told her that I thought, you know, you might be interested in going out there and doing a stage for a week and you should totally do it. Plus you would get to go to California in the middle of winter, you know? So at least I had something that I could send send off send her off with, and if I didn't end up being the person that that she stayed with, that doesn't matter to me at all. I just want her, I want her to find that inspiration yeah. somewhere. So what happened? So I mean, I just I just we just talked to her on Friday. So yeah. does she go out there? She's thinking. Well, she's thinking it over. I mean, I haven't. Does she give you any feedback that you weren't aware of during the um, interview? No, not really. Um, but she was honest and she, I mean, it was, it was a good conversation. It wasn't really anything that we didn't suspect anyway. Yeah. And, you know, part of it was that, you know, we're, we're just full of white faces here and this was a African-American woman. And I just felt like there were some, you know, comfort levels that I, I just can't reach out to her through, you know, culturally, I don't know. Yeah. I just want to be aware of that kind of thing though, you know, yeah. and, and just think, well, if I, if I, if this isn't the right place for her, maybe, you know, maybe that she could have an experience or something, you know, she could go, I hope, hopefully she'll go someplace yeah. where she really will. And ultimately it's not about, she's you. got it inside yeah. her. She's got what it takes, you yes. know, yes. something, something, you know, and knowing her, something will, it will get yeah. unlocked. I it, mean, it's already unlocked, but it will get fostered. It will get nurtured somewhere. I, I love this. She'll attitude. make sure of that. I love this attitude of it's not about me and what you can do for me, but your role as a restaurateur, as a business owner is to, to look at the next generation and say, what can I do for you? How can I help? you in my position where I'm at. And even that's not about me. I don't, if I can't do that, hopefully someone will, you can just try and just keep going, you know, but it always comes back some way, somehow. And that's not why we do it. But when you, when you live to serve other people and you live to make it about benefiting other people, you, the universe almost always provides some way, somehow it comes back around to you. Uh, it's so powerful. Anything we haven't discussed up to this point before we move to the speed round? No, You've been great. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Payroll and benefits. It's hard. Sometimes it feels like this foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have 
access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited-time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to getbento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. And we're back. The first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? So basically a strength. Vision. Beautiful. My vision for new restaurants and also for menu items. What's your biggest weakness? Besides fatigue these days, you know, it's, I just can't work as hard as I used to. But uh, I would say um, I, you know, I try not to get complacent. I worry about complacency. Okay. How are you combating that? Uh, working with young people helps, you Absolutely. know, working with other people and having your head together. Yeah. With and that's why it's so important. I feel like to live to serve other people because you, you only have a short window in this industry uh, because this industry beats the shit out of you. <laughs> uh, and you, the, the more you teach, the more you provide opportunity to other people, it's your job. It's a race to, to put out as many of those good vibes as possible. Because when you start getting to the point where you need that help, it will come back around to you some way, somehow. It's just so, so full heartedly. I probably beat this to death and I'm sorry if you guys are like, here it goes again. but I just believe it. Um, what's one question you ask or a thing you look for during the interview process when you're trying to build that team? Even if it's front of the house, I say, do you like to cook? What are you looking for? Just an interest in food, you know, an interest in, in, in cooking, uh, because that's kind of what is what fuels everybody's passion and, and pride in what they do. Beautiful. What's a current challenge today? Your biggest challenge today? doing what you really want to do and staying profitable. And how are you dealing with that challenge? It's a balancing act. I probably don't, um, um, the way you deal with it is not to be too attached to, to the, to short term money, you know, just let it ride and get satisfaction out of what you're doing. And if you're not making quite as much on, on a certain item because of how much the quality 
costs, then you've got the integrity of having the quality and, you know, don't worry so much about, about the money. So, so I guess value is over money. Yeah. It wins in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, share to one a point. No, <laughs> <laughs> share, to the point where you can't. Yeah. To like, but again, that's going. why it's so, that's why that cash heavy, it's a, it's cash a juggling work. act and that's yeah. kind of the fun of it too. Yeah. Uh, share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team. This is like a core value, a belief, a way to be. Uh, treat each other like human beings. Beautiful. And what's un- one uncommon standard of service that you teach your staff? So this is common within your in your four walls, but uncommon within the industry. Something you do to go above and beyond. I don't know if this goes above and beyond, but when people ask about ingredients and people ask about recipes and people say they like a certain thing, bring them a little of it. Print the recipe for them. Ask them, you know, how, why are they interested in that? And do they have a recipe? Ask them, you know, it's, it's just that share, really sharing and not that, well, now this is a secret, so we're not going to tell you how we do this. Sharing knowledge. And I know, here's the thing, no matter. Nothing's new under the yeah. sun recipe wise. People, when they know more about that, that item and they can tie knowledge to it, they're going to want to come back because that, you know, they love having that knowledge. They're never going to execute it like you do in your kitchen and they don't have the time to execute it like you do in your kitchen. And at the end of the day, it's not our food like we discussed that makes us successful. It's how you make people feel. So like all that stuff doesn't matter because no one's ever going to execute it like you and, and no one's ever going to make the people feel the way you make them feel. So if you're focusing on those things. Yeah. And right? the food is about them. It's not about look at me. Yeah. That's, exactly. you know, the food is what will they really yeah. want to eat yeah. and they can't wait to come back for it. And they've been thinking about it. And the you food know, that's gets just them like in. a good yeah, fish sandwich. Exactly. It doesn't have to be some chefy thing. Yeah. You know? And I've heard from people um, the way that they look at it is food is what you use to get people in the door. Your reputation, how good the food is. Even though when people are talking about your like your the experience, they're talking about the food, but we all know it's how you made them feel, right? But how you make them feel is what brings them back. That's how I like to look at it. So cool. Yeah. Uh, so what's one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant operator? Can't say Dan Meyer setting the table. Can't say what? Can't say Danny Meyer setting the table. No, I, I wasn't <laughs> going to say that. Um, it's too, that was too repetitive. I haven't gotten through it all the way. It just says the same thing over and over again. But you know, a book, a book that, that I turn to again and again, it, it's a cookbook, but it also has life lessons in it. It's the Zuni Cafe cookbook by Judy Rogers. Zuni Cafe, first time mentioned on the show by Judy Roberts. Judy Rogers. Rogers. R-O-D-G-E-R-S, I think. Beautiful. Um, biggest lesson from that book, real quick. Um, even if it's more difficult, do do things the best and most you know the best way you can, and and the way you know is right. Yes, beautiful. Share an online resource or tool that you leverage. It could be a place to go to get knowledge. Maybe a, a that I use. You say yeah. that I that I use um, online. Yeah, you say. Um, I look a lot. I, I I look at. I do tasting table a lot. What do you like about tasting table? And I do eater just to get inspiration. Tasting table. I mean, the recipes are actually really good. Yeah. And the and they they used to have this thing called uh, sous chef, you know, and they, it was films of sous chefs and what their dishes were, and I just found that fascinating. So, what's the thing about eater that you like? Um, I look at eater for. Like if we're if you're if we're thinking about opening a sandwich shop, then I'll go to Eater obsessively when I'm eating or when I'm doing something that I you know have a second. I'll go to Eater and be like ten best 
breakfast restaurants or 10 best sandwich shops in Los Angeles. And I'll just pour over mm. every single bit of it because, you know, living here, the internet is our way of learning mm-hmm. except for being able to get out of town maybe yeah. once or twice a year. Which is the beauty of the internet today. No matter where you sure are in the is. world, like you can find inspiration. I, agree. I I lean on Eater a lot to find guests when I, especially mm. when I was first getting started. Mm. Um, but now it's more referrals than anything else. But anyway, uh, good stuff. And what's one technology you've adopted and you're leveraging within your restaurant, like a tool to improve communication, efficiency, profitability, uh, just overall have a good impact on your business. Um, inner, inter restaurant intercom, inter restaurant, you know, just like picking up the, f- instead of having to walk to the front office a thousand times a day, yeah. you just can call, you can do the intercom. It's pretty uh, low tech. I know, but you said tech. It is tech. Yeah, it's, it's, tech. it's the phone I'll t- system. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. This is the last question, but it's a doozy. You ready for it? Okay. If you got the news that you'd be leaving this world tomorrow, all the memories of you, your work and your restaurants would be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity in this industry. I know it's steep. Whenever I ask this question, the, the looks I get, the eye rolls, the, this jerk, <laughs> what, what were those? three pieces of wisdom be if you could drop them off. The first one would be be yourself. Mm. Okay. The second one would be, um, listen, you know, listen more than talk, at least at first. What's the last one? Um, Always drink rosé at the end of the day. (laughs) I like it. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Chef Wiley. Uh, You you just, you know, I love your story. I love that that dedication, just doing what you love, sticking with it, uh, and living to to serve other people is what I, I got from this conversation. It was an honor to make an example of you. And we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. So who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire in this industry and believe would make a great guest mentor on the show? I would say Dana Downs. Dana Downs. Where can I find Dana? You can find her at Roost Modern Italian in the Oregon District in downtown Dayton, Ohio. Look out, Dana. I'm coming after you. And let the folks at home know, how can we connect? If uh, we want to join your team, come learn, get mentored by you, or maybe we just want to uh, pick up the conversation and ask you a question. Or maybe just have something good to eat. Or maybe come or get, some, get, a, get a donation or something. I mean, um, <laughs> well, you can reach us through the website, uh, which is metalarkrestaurant.com or wheatpennydayton.com. Is that, what, is that what you mean? Yeah, just the best way to connect. Or social handles. Do you have social handles? No, I, I can no, look them up. I don't have that. You don't have that? Your restaurants don't have so? Uh, we're not on Twitter, if that's what you mean. Okay. You can find us on Instagram. There you go. I don't know what the address is. I'll find it. And you can find us on Facebook, of course. Beautiful. Thank you again, Chef Wiley, for taking the time uh, to sit with us, to tell your story, to make us all just a little bit more unstoppable. <laughs> there is no questioning. You, Chef, are definitely unstoppable. Good to hear. <laughs> there is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant unstoppable chef wiley wow great conversation lots of takeaways uh from today's chat the the big takeaways for me i can think of at least three uh the first one is get out there explore the world explore this country at least or you know and just find your lane uh 
figure out wh- where you belong, what you love, what what makes you light up inside. Chef Wiley did that going out to California. Uh, she figured herself out. She needed to kind of explore, uh, you know, discover herself and what really lit her up about this industry. And uh, the other cool thing that I took from the early part of her career is, you know, become a person of value, learn a unique skill. I mean, there's so many different ways to penetrate this industry for her. She, she learned how to sharpen knives and that was the doorway that gave her access to these kitchens. She wouldn't normally have access to it and also helped her develop a network and get into, you know, these kitchens where she could start working uh, in the kitchens cooking. Uh, So, you know, really get creative. Don't, let anything get in your way of surrounding yourself with greatness and really learning a uh, great lesson there. Uh, also, you know, don't be a shithead, right? Like don't let your ego get the best of you. Don't be short tempered. Uh, really, you know, control those emotions, those uh, emotions, right? Uh, don't let your emotions flood your, you know, pragmatic mind, your, uh, the mind that lets you rationalize. Uh, when we let anger and emotions take control of us, we just become jerks. And uh, it, it doesn't serve us. It doesn't serve the people that we are uh, you know, responsible for. So really be aware, be mindful of that energy you're putting off and that, that message you're delivering people with your words and your, uh, your, your energy. And then lastly, uh, I love this whole idea of, uh, it was real brief, but she was talking about... Uh, this gentleman who had the the market and his son went off and he wasn't quite sure if he wanted to be a part of the family business. He went off to culinary school, traveled Europe, he came back, he had all these these ideas and this new energy, and he injected that energy into this business. And now this market, I had the the privilege of of walking around this market in Dayton. Beautiful, beautiful spot they have in Dayton, Ohio, uh, doing really cool things in this market. But Elizabeth made the point to to say you need to find this person who's going to inject new energy, new thought into your business and make them a partner. And I think we're so guarded sometimes. We're so unwilling to uh, open up our, our business to other people, to allow other people to contribute at the level of a partner. And when we do that, we, you know, we're sharing the ownership. We're sharing uh, the the joy of of calling something our own, and we, we do inject that energy. We do inject that that new perspective, that new angle that we may have never thought to look at our business. Uh, you know, obviously, you got to pick the right partner. Not it, not every partnership is going to end the way it did for this gentleman and, for, and the way it did for uh, Wiley. But uh, great great point there. Awesome stuff. So as you guys are are listening to this, actually, as I'm recording this, I'm sitting in Thailand. I'm out here in Thailand. Man, uh, it's it was a, a trip getting out here, 26 hours on a plane. Uh, it was a little rough, but I finally made it, and I'm just so happy to be here. And uh, a lot of people have been, you know, commenting on my messages online, saying, "Oh, like, you know, don't get distracted, like, stay focused." And like, uh, it, it, I want you to know the reason why I'm out here is because I'm focused. Is because I don't want distractions. And Thailand is kind of, you know, has a reputation for being a wild spot, but. Uh, I'm out here because I'm surrounding myself with the people who can help me take Restaurant Unstoppable to the next level. Uh, and because I can afford to live here. I'll, I'll be honest, like with the podcast alone, it was kind of a struggle to live stateside. Uh, but, you know, I'm stretching my dollar. I'm surrounding myself with the people that can take this thing to the next level. And on that note, taking this thing to the next level, uh, what can I do with Restaurant Unstoppable uh, that will better serve you? If you can think of something that uh, you you know if you said to yourself oh man I, I really wish uh, Eric had this on his website so I could it'll be easier for me to do that 
uh, share that with me. Shoot me an, an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I'm listening to your suggestions. I really want to exist to serve you guys. And the best way I can serve you is if you let me know how I can best serve you. So I'm open to suggestions. Uh, please do reach out to me. And uh, I'm really excited for where we're headed with Restaurant Unstoppable. I don't want to say too much now because I'm not entirely sure if I can uh, deliver on all the things I want to do. But as soon as these things are done and we're going to roll them out, I will be sure to let you know. And uh, it's only looking up from here. Like things are going in the right direction. We are unstoppable. I'm so excited for the future and to serve you guys. So uh, good things happening. Uh, I think I can probably wrap it up now. Five minute outro. It's a little longer than you guys need. You're busy. I'll let you go. I love you all. Until next time. Peace out. Thank <laughs> you.